Hello, welcome to another episode of Simply Feedback, the podcast hosted by Learning Bridge. Our guest today is Dr. Rob Fazio. Um, Rob has worked with Fortune 500 companies from around the globe for more than 15 years. He's the managing partner of On Point Advising Incorporated and president of the nonprofit Hold the Door for Others, a 9 11 inspired nonprofit that helps people grow through adversity. He created the Motivational Currency Calculator, which is an assessment of what drives people and how they can better lead. Dr. Fazio is the author of Simple is the New Smart. He's often sought out to share his point of view on CNN, Fox News Channel, and MSNBC, and in Forbes and The CEO Magazine. Rob, welcome to the Simply Feedback podcast today. It's good to have you with us. Joy, it's great to hear your voice and be uh, having a conversation with you again. So the podcast is Simply Feedback. We like to talk a lot about feedback, but one of the questions that I find very fascinating to ask our guests is, is to have you tell us about a time that somebody gave you feedback and what kind of an impact that feedback might have had on your life, if it marked a turning point or a particular change in direction because of the feedback that you received. Have you got a time when that happened? Yes. The first story that comes to mind for me is when uh, I was in grad school, and just like in any good psychology program, you get tons of feedback. And back then, it was via either cassette recordings or VHS tapes. And you would bring your recordings of therapy sessions to your supervisor and advisor, and they would go through with you. So the first thing was, I remember going into one of my supervisor's offices with a stack of tapes, and I had a big smile on my face, and it was all ready. And I, I put one in, and I hit play, and um, he goes go back to your office and get the other tapes. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Doc? And he's like, I don't want Rob Fazio's highlight reels. Like I want the real stuff. Like I want to see when you're struggling and what you're doing. So that was my first experience, which is I, I, I did everything I could to try to avoid feedback. Right. And then when, you know, I started getting into a, a groove, uh, same supervisors, the name was Dr. McCreary. He's looking at my tapes and doing therapy. And this is probably maybe like a year or so in. And he goes, Fazio, what in the world are you doing? And I was like, what, what do you mean? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm making sure I'm, I'm linking cognitive behavioral theories to the psychodynamic process. And I'm making sure I'm being a scientist practitioner. And he's like, you're, you're terrible. He's like, you are not having a human conversation. From now on, start off like you're Rob Fazio, like you talk to people. It made so much sense because I was spending so much time in my head. I was losing what I really enjoyed, which is the the helping people and having that connection. Mm. So that really changed my perspective on how I work with, with people. I love it when every once in a while that happens where you're just in the right moment, the right mindset, where feedback just sort of clicks in your head and it's like, oh, yeah, I wasn't doing it that way before, but I I can see that I should be. And so you, you can just sort of shift over to a new direction. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, so, so you talked a little bit about your background, but maybe tell us some of your background. You know, where did you come from? How did you get started? Why did you go into the field that you're in? I, I went into the field I was in because growing up, I was very anxious as a kid and I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And I I didn't want to live that way. So I just got really interested in this idea of, of psychology and trying to better oneself and um, really take some ownership of my own 
growth and development. So I had interest in psychology real, real early on, probably before high school. And uh, I, I remember when I was um, watching the Olympics with my mom, this was right during when the Tanya Harding and, and Nancy Kerrigan incident happened. And Nancy Kerrigan was seeing a sports psychologist to help get her through. And my mom said, you know, you, you really love sports and you also love psychology. Why not go into sports psychology? And so that was what I initially went into was this idea of building mental toughness and focus and working with teams and helping people be elite performers. And then went on to traditional psychology. And while there, just realized I also appreciated business. And as we know, there's a lot of performances in business that's much like sports. So it was a good, mm-hmm. a good fit. Mm-hmm. And it was really important to me. A lot of the programs are based in physical education or kinesiology. It was really important to me to go to a program that uh, looked at the whole person. So it was based in, in counseling. It was called athletic counseling at, at Springfield College. And it really took into the whole, how does someone perform looking at them from perspective as an athlete on the field, as well as their lives off the field and how much those two interplay, much like performing at work and your home life. I'm guessing or assuming that there's feedback involved in that, obviously. Yes. The, the beauty of sport, Troy, is its feedback is an expectation and it's part of the game. So it's not this loaded term or loaded mm. thing. It's called coaching. And when it's called coaching in sports, you're expected to get some feedback on what you're doing and people aren't defensive about it. That's what I love about it. Sport gives you instant feedback and people coach you and it's part of the culture. And I think there's a lot less resistance there as when we get into the business world, it becomes a little bit more difficult and and, and messy. Yeah. I I like that insight. You know, there literally is a coach there whose job is to give you feedback when you're in sports. And it really doesn't happen as often inside of a business are there ways that as you approach, uh, you know, perhaps an engagement with a company that you can overcome some of that resistance to to hearing the feedback? Yes. Uh, the first thing is I don't use the word feedback. I try to as much as possible call it something different and be transparent about it. So I talk a lot about it being advice, it being something that is designed to be helpful. But I try to stay away from the word feedback because so many have had traumatizing experiences with giving or receiving it. Mm-hmm. There's a great book called uh, Thank You for the Feedback. And and the whole philosophy is around teaching someone how to receive feedback. And once someone really knows how to receive it, they become better at giving it. Um, so I try to try to take that as well. And also try just letting people know that it's not as easy as we make it sound because there's something called emotion that gets mm-hmm. involved. And if we look at what, what is feedback really, it, it's someone's preference based on their priorities. They're seeing things through their perception and lens and then giving you some piece of information. There's So I think we could offset a lot of that by putting on the table how difficult it can be and trying to shift the, the mindset around it. That makes sense. Take away some of that negative emotion or the anticipation or the anxiety that's there just by calling it what it is and saying, you know, you may experience this and and that's okay. And everybody kind of feels that way or feels that anxiety as the feedback starts to come or the advice. And that can help people be ready to receive that feedback a little bit more. So I'm familiar with the motivational currency calculator, but for our listeners, will you tell us about the motivational currency calculator, the MCC, what it is, why you created it, how do you use it, things like that? 
So just some live feedback for you and your team, Troy. So I had worked with a lot of vendors and by far working with your team helped me be more strategic and have confidence in the product and service around motivational currency. That was so, so helpful. And I I hope that more people get to have that experience because creating an assessment uh, is no no easy thing. In, in the spirit of feedback, I always I always kid around. My my wife and I uh, developed this together. She is a uh, a professor and teaches research and communication. And I say, if you really want to know your true social style, create an assessment with your spouse or partner. It'll uh, <laughs> it'll teach you a thing. Or two. One of those kinds of experiences uh, to go through with your spouse for sure. Yes. Uh, so motivational currency is based on uh, David McClelland, who was at Harvard and did all this research on social motives, which is internally what drives you. And the, the whole idea is that there are things that get formed through our experiences that in any given situation are likely to get pulled out of us. So for example, if you're very achievement oriented in situations you're going to be results focused. And so what I wanted to do is take his years and years of research and simplify an approach that can be used in different ways. And so his approach was really focused on the the unconscious. And I wanted a very simple and practical approach that was business focused. So motivational currency is about three things. Recognition, which is realizing what your motivators are in yourself. And then reading, which is picking up on cues and motivators in other people. And then leading, which is adapting your your leadership style. It's got a self-evaluation aspect and then also a skill aspect. So I think of it as where situational leadership meets motivation. Because we want people to be aware and how to adapt, but we also want to get them better at understanding others. And I was using this mostly around in creating engagement clients, um, coaching. So really around influence, right? Mm-hmm. And motivating and, and people. What I found was um, people are, are have started using it around diversity and inclusion initiatives. So communicating to people in the way that they want to be communicating to, uncover what's really truly important to a person, using consistent language that really connects to people. That's interesting to see how, you know, you create it for one intended purpose, but it ends up working as a tool for for lots of different things. So you'll use it at the beginning of an engagement to help people start to think about those concepts. Is that how you would apply the MCC? Uh, So a few different ways. One is I use it in an executive coaching engagement to increase awareness and help a person diversify their approach to communication influence. I use it in keynote presentations so everyone can have a consistent language and then use it organizationally as a way, a lens through which see things that are happening and making sure that people are diversifying their approach to, to leadership and influence. Cool. You shared a fantastic time here at the beginning of the interview about a time when somebody gave you feedback, but is there a, an experience or a time when you've seen feedback cause a point of inflection in someone else's career or their life um, as you've you know engaged with different clients over the years? I, I have. I've not by design, but I've developed a niche in working with really strong personalities. So your executives, surgeons, all different types of people with strong personalities. And I was working with a with a doc, and the feedback for him was it was all command and control, and didn't listen to people, and didn't have any interpersonal 
effectiveness, let's let's say. Not all that uncommon. And I did some shadowing with him and I remember him saying, You're not gonna learn anything from watching me. I said, Okay, that's that's fine. Let me just let me just mm-hmm. see here. I watched him interact with a patient's family and talk to them about a, a post-op procedure and around adherence and what to do. And after the conversation, I said, Doc, what did you do there? He's like, Oh, I like I want I want to make sure that things go well. And I was like, Do you realize how much time you were, how patient you were, how empathetic you were, and how you just listen to their concerns and try to be helpful. He was like, yeah. I said, how come you do that there? But when you're talking to your team and the nurse practitioners or the PAs or anesthesiologists, it's completely different. And he said, well, that's because that's part of my business. Patients have to adhere. They have to see that side of me. So they come back. And I said, but what about for your team? Will they function more effectively? Will they stick with you if you take that approach? And that just one moment, one conversation helped him shift his perspective on how he was going to communicate with his team and work with his team. I have to say, Rob, as I hear you talk about this, the thought that comes to my mind is, gosh, Rob really likes to play in the deep end of the pool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're not going to work with the ones that are easy to work with. We're going to go find the guys that are set in their ways and know exactly what they think they want and try to give them advice and help them be better. That takes real skill, real talent, I think. Hey everyone, I wanted to interrupt today's episode for just a minute to talk to you a little bit about feedback. We're in the middle of the podcast, Simply Feedback, and as you know, that's all about helping people to use feedback to make the most of their careers and lives. Over the years we've been doing this, we've gotten a lot of questions about feedback, and I wanted to tell you we've created a series of short videos that answer the various questions that we've received. To get to these videos, go to learningbridge.com tips. You can watch the first three videos that explain the four types of feedback that people give and how to act on each type. Then, while you're there at learningbridge.com tips, go ahead and subscribe to receive a short video each week, usually around two minutes long, that will teach you or remind you of different principles to make the most of feedback so that it works for you. Again, you can find these free videos at learningbridge.com tips and even share the tips with others. Check them out one more time. That's learningbridge.com slash tips and subscribe for the weekly updates. And now let's get back to today's episode. You know, Troy, it's funny you said I I recently went through a a strength-based coaching training and the feedback that came for me in my profile was uh, I enjoy diffusing the bomb, which is just a a weird way to think about it here. But I guess if you think about it, I do enjoy the high stakes stuff where you can really make some some impact that has that ripple effect where if you help someone be more effective in that way, they're happy with themselves, home lives are better for the people below them, more engagement, all that good stuff. You mentioned success through strength. Will you tell us a little bit more about what that means and how you use that principle in the work that you do? Yes. So I think that the foundation for all success is is strength. Starting with yourself. So there there's so it takes so much strength to get through transitions and to have the right mindset where you believe the success pie is big enough and you can help others. So I see strength as that foundation. And in some of the work that I have the opportunity to do is is helping people realize that there's there's a continuum from weakness to subtle strength to overt strength. To dominance. And oftentimes when we're stressed and under pressure, we play in either weakness and being very passive, 
or we play in dominance where we have to take control. And if we can become the master of the way we interact with people and stick with subtle strength, which is intentional influence, demonstrating backbone and respect, and then there's overt strength, which is being assertive. If we can stay in those two aspects of strength, we become more successful and we help others become more successful. The, the stronger we are, the less likely crises like COVID-19 are going to have negative impacts on us. And we're almost expecting and prepared for those and just knowing that that's part of life and making sure we're weaving that strength for ourselves and building up others in the process. Mm. Mm -hmm. I really love doing these, uh, these podcasts, these interviews, because I end up hearing things like what you just said, talking about that continuum from weakness through subtle strength to overt strength to dominance. I, I start thinking, well, gosh, how does that apply in my own life or in the lives of people that I know? Are there things that I can tweak for myself personally in terms of how I interact with others or how I lead or, you know, in different situations? It's, it's fantastic. I appreciate that. I wanted to talk for just a minute about your nonprofit, Hold the Door for Others. It was a joyful experience for me to learn more about that nonprofit um, as I've prepped to talk to you today. Um, it seems like a wonderful organization helping people to grow through adversity, to achieve their dreams. But I understand also that there's really some incredible personal meaning behind its inception and its mission. Will you tell us more about Hold the Door for Others? Absolutely. Uh, we are grateful to have a, a story about my my dad. Um, so my dad uh, grew up in the Bronx and uh, worked in New York City his pretty much his whole life. And uh, he was in the towers on on September 11th. And we we were convinced that he was fine because he called my mom twice. And what we found out was he didn't make it. But in the last moments of his life, he made the decision to help others. And what people kept saying when they'd call the house, they said, hey, Rob, you know, is your, your dad home? I said, no, we haven't found him. I said, but, but we saw him. He was holding the door. He was helping us out. He held the door for us. He helped get us out. And so we know in the last moments of his life, he was holding the door to help people get home to their loved ones. And we, it's really been an inspiration to us. And we decided right after September 11th, we were going to do something to keep his legacy alive and to keep it loud. And, and we keyed in on this whole idea of taking adverse experiences, trauma and loss, and finding a way to create growth through those experiences. And my whole thing was that I wanted to match the level of grief we felt on 9-11 with growth for for our country and, and beyond. And so it's, you know, taking on a life of its own. And, and, I, and I'm grateful for all the people that we do. Uh, during COVID-19, we had so many resources in place and we started doing these growth conversations where um, we would take on different topics and help people. And, and we focused on this whole idea of as we were flattening the curve related to the pandemic, uh, as an organization, we were trying to flatten the anxiety curve and increase the growth curve and just trying to give people some hope and strength and practical ways to take ownership of their of their growth and, and help each other out. Thanks for asking that, Troy. I, I, yeah. I, I love talking. That's, that's a great story, a great, um, a great motivation for starting the nonprofit to, to really, like you say, um, grow through adversity. Because obviously you and your family experienced some adversity after 9-11 with the loss of your dad. And to really be able to turn that into something positive, 
That's fantastic. So what are some of the activities that the nonprofit that Hold the Door is doing? So the main thing that we do is we have what's called a a Hold the Door Day, whereas we bring in people um, who have faced some type of adversity, can be anything, you know, it can be a loss of a loved one, it can be a trauma. And our whole foundation, the way we approach things is connect, care and challenge. And so we teach people to how to connect with one another, share their story, develop some self-awareness. We practice and teach them some self-care techniques. And then our differentiator is the challenge. So, so the rule is you leave stronger than when you came in. So we challenge them to grow in some area. We have several different resources, uh, a growth guide and a workbook on living with loss. And the whole idea is you can take this self-awareness tool to see in these eight areas that we found in the research and our work that buffer the negative impact and trauma and help people grow. You kind of create your own development plan related to those areas, building up on your strengths. And now we're also doing more of these growth conversations and we're thinking about what's what's next, what's the next resource. We have a vision for a Hold the Door Homeroom program where we teach children social and emotional learning and, and strength. So we're pursuing that right now and trying to navigate the challenges of, of teachers being overburdened and whatnot, but really interested in doing some youth development as well. That's cool. All of our resources and everything we do articles for professionals on the approach for psychologists is all on holdthedoor.com and they're all free. So mm. our hope is we want more and more people using these things in different settings. So so it's readily available uh, resources. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a quote unquote event to leverage the resources. That makes sense. So check out the website. It's kind of what you're saying to learn more about the resources, to see what's available no matter where you're located. Yep. Absolutely. Everything is free for public taking and can be downloaded. Cool. Will you tell us a little bit about your book, Simple as the New Smart? As you know about me, Troy, is I, I really uh, appreciate the simplicity of things and and doing trainings You know, for 20 years or so, uh, you realize that if the things aren't appetizing, digestible, and memorable, people don't use them. Mm. So I wanted to put together a book that had underlying sophistication, but was very simple in his approach. So there's basically 26 chapters and all practical tips on leadership and influence and something that you can pick up, read one chapter on how to have a conversation and influence someone that's a certain style or how to create a vision. And so it's based in a diverse range of different pieces of research then put in a really simple format so people can use it the second they put down the book. Rob, are there any other projects you're working on right now that you want to share with us, things that are in the works? The main thing is around motivational currency. I've just decided over the last couple of weeks that I'm actually going to do a certification because I want to create a community of people that can support one another in their approaches to motivational currency. So um, that'll probably be coming up um, in late October. We're doing that. I've been doing a a lot with hospitals um, just around the aspect of staying strong during this COVID crisis, which I get a lot of, uh, it's very rewarding. I I get a lot out of that. And then really um, flushing out this idea of of influencing alpha personalities. Hmm. We've got some original research on alpha personalities and communicating influence. And I'm excited to to start talking about and getting out there. It's really great. You know, you've been doing this for 20 years, 20 plus years. 
it's nice that there are new areas still to explore, new takes on the work to say, well, I haven't gone down that direction yet. Let me explore that for a little bit. I get it. I get to talk to really smart people that have a lot of problems, right, in the in the work world, and then it inspires me to take a deep dive uh, and try to become an expert in in those areas. Mm, that makes sense. Well, Rob, if people want to know more, um, if they want to continue the conversation with you, is that something that you would be open to? Yes, absolutely. Matter of fact, you know, you mentioned the the one take Wednesday. Uh, I really enjoy communicating with people on LinkedIn, getting different perspectives and and being able to dialogue and getting feedback. Or if there are different topics people are interested in, I welcome those pieces of information. That's awesome. So they can find you on LinkedIn. Any other ways that are easy to to get a hold of you? What's the best way? Yeah, getonpoint.com. There's a lot of free resources there, blogs, video blog. That's the best way to kind of see what I'm up to that and LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Rob Fazio, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's It has been a real pleasure for me to, to catch up with you a little bit. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Troy. It's always great to, to talk with you, and I, I look forward to our next project. <laughs>